Yeah, such a big crowd sort of uh, terrifies me. <laughs> but anyway, I was thinking uh, what the Bible says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. I come to you this morning in God's name. So if there's at least one other person here that came in God's name, then we're in good shape. So uh, I trust that there is. I think there's a few more people here in God's name. And so God is in our midst and uh, he has some things for us to think about. I was uh, pondering this week, I was reading through the uh, story of Jesus' life on earth. And I uh, realized that there were hundreds, maybe thousands of miracles Not all of them were recorded in the Bible, but many of these miracles had happened and and in in a thousand ways. Jesus demonstrated to the people that he was the son of God and that he had come with power and authority and he was Lord of Lords and he told them so. Yet how often. These things just went over their heads. They told, he told the, the uh, scribes and Pharisees many things and they would not believe him. And even his disciples found themselves hard to believe certain things. And we think, because we are from where we are today, why? Why did they... Why did they uh, not get it? Did you ever wonder that? Well, as I pondered that, I thought, you know, the reason why they didn't get it is because of all the things they knew. You know what I mean? Sometimes, you see, we learn by, by association. Every new fact that comes to us, we associate with something else that we've already known. And that's how we learn. And these people knew certain things. They knew about Messiah. And what they knew was that that God had promised to send a Messiah. And if God had promised to send a Messiah, it was going to surely happen. They knew that. Well, that shouldn't be a problem, should it? But what they also knew was that they were now in bondage to, to Rome. And, and, and when Messiah comes, uh, you know, Messiah is going to release them from the bondage of Rome. You see, they knew that, right? Uh, <laughs> it's getting a little sketchy there, isn't it? But they knew that, that God was going to send Messiah in power and in might. Yeah, he did a little differently than he thought. But these things they knew, and somehow Jesus didn't fit the picture quite perfectly. And so, well, then they'd they'd miss it. They would say, well, uh, no, uh, it can't can't quite fit. So, no, I I don't believe it's quite, uh, you know. And they stumbled over the things that they knew. And I got to thinking about that, and I wondered, Are there any times when I stumble 
because of the things I know. (laughs) Do we stumble sometimes as a church because of the things we know? There's a good chance we do. Very good chance that we do. I'll give you an illustration here. Another illustration. As the, as the life of Jesus played out upon this earth several years and all of these miracles were behind them and the disciples knew for sure, they knew for sure they, that Jesus was the, the Messiah. And Peter said, well, first of all, Jesus asked them, well, who, who do people say that I am, you know? And, they said, well, maybe Elias and, you know, so on and so forth. And then they said, Jesus said, well, who do you say? And we all know that story. And Peter says, so without any doubt in his mind, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He knew that. <laughs> he knew that. It was like he was convinced about that. But even that information got in his way. Even that right information got in his way because his expectations were according to the way he thought they were going to be. So as Jesus is coming to the end of his life and he knows, uh, yeah, it's about time I've got to go up to Jerusalem and I've got to, I've got to give myself as a ransom for this world and my disciples are not very well prepared for that uh, now they think that I'm going to be a king and yes I'm going to be a king but not the way they think I'm going to be a king and so he starts to break the news to them and he says to them uh, you know we're going up to Jerusalem and uh uh, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up, crucified, and they'll kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. You know that? And they say to him, I get how, how funny this is in a way. They say to him, um, we would like to ask a favor of you. Oh, Jesus says, what is it? Well, uh, when you come to your kingdom, we would like to be a, a one on one side of you and the other on the other. Did you ever think about that? I mean, what they were actually sort of asking is, I'd, I'd like to be crucified on one side and the other, my brother on the other side, right? <laughs> Did you ever think about it that way? Well, Jesus was thinking about it that way. Because he was, his mind was on the cross. And he said, do you know what you're asking? Do you know what that means to be one on one side and the other on the other? Could you do that? Would you be ready to suffer like that? Do you know what they answered? They said, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're ready. They didn't know what they were saying. And Jesus said, well, yeah, I can't give you that place. That's not, that's not your place. That's not what we have planned. That's not what the kingdom's going to, how the kingdom's going to play out. 
and in fact, you will suffer. Don't don't get that wrong. You will suffer. You'll have your chance to suffer. But uh, when I come in my kingdom, I you, uh, you won't get it one on one side and the other on the other. That's not mine to give. Do you see how utterly they missed all of this? Kind of interesting. And they missed it. We know they missed it because as the things that actually played out, their hearts were saddened. They were stuck. They were like, oh, my. Yeah, we trusted he was the Messiah. And now and now he's dead. You know, uh, and our life is totally devastated. Yet this is the reason why Jesus was telling them ahead of time. He said, look, I'm telling you these things. I'm telling you these things so that when it happens, and I know you don't understand it right now, but when it happens, I want you to remember. And so you won't be so discouraged and you won't be so upset and you won't be unbelieving because I told you it's going to be this way. And they still didn't get it, did they? It's kind of amazing how many things kind of just, you know, pass over simply because what we know is, is in a variance with the truth. So I'm going to call, take my text this morning from John. You can turn to John uh, chapter 14 and 15. I'm going to just skim over a little bit of 14 because... This is the period of time that, and I want you to be sure you understand that this is at the end of Jesus' life as he is preparing to go to the cross and as he is, as he is headed that direction and he's thinking about his disciples and how they're going to handle this uh, traumatic event that's coming up in their lives. And he says there in chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, well, believe in me too. Now, you have no questions this morning that God is real, that he is all-powerful. You know that. And you know that I'm the Son of God. And so, therefore, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. So, when I am taken and crucified, just know that I'm the Son of God and it's okay. I planned it that way. Now, if the disciples had gotten that, do you think they would have been so sorrowful? No. See, that would have helped them a lot. I want you to know that in my father's house are many mansions and I go to prepare a place for you. I, this world is not the end of the circumstance. This is not the, this is not the goal I am going for eternal life. And I go to prepare a place that is perfect and sinless for you. And I go to prepare it. I'm going to make it possible for you to get there. What a comforting thought. But their mind was on something else, right? What was their mind on? Oh, their minds were on... Yeah, the kingdom is coming, and yeah, the, the people in power will have probably mansions to live in. I wonder what my house will look like. Uh, maybe I'll have a big, 
a garden, you know, with pools and fountains. And this is the kind of stuff that was in their minds. How utterly far from the truth they must have been. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. In other words, I'm the it. I'm the Son of God, the central figure of this world and all that it's about. I am central. And you ought to know that. I wonder if we know that today. Do you live your life as if Jesus Christ was the central theme of your life? And that nothing else really mattered? A lot of us don't do that. We live day by day making money and spending money and being comfortable and uh, being happy and trying to be happy. Some of us don't do such a good job of that. Does God want you to be happy? Well, maybe happy isn't the right word. But God wants you to be full of joy. In the midst of whatever happens in your life. And I find that a lot of people have struggled with that. Jesus says, these things have I told you. So that when it comes to pass, you will believe And that you will have joy and that my joy may remain in you. Now, if you understand the big context, the big picture here, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came with one purpose, just one purpose. And that was to make it to make us one with him and that. The original plan for man to be at one with his maker. Although that was badly destroyed and damaged, his purpose was to bring us back to that perfect covenant again. To bring us at one with him. So that we would be like him. So that we would think like him. So that we would act like him. And so we would have fellowship with him. That's the whole picture. Now, if you know that whole picture, um, that's pretty joyous, isn't it? I mean, just think about that. The option of being with God himself and being one with God. I don't know how you could not be joyful about that. If you understand it. And if that joy, if that idea has thoroughly permeated your mind and you have taken it and, and sucked it up and made it your own, will it not remain with you? Will it not? Sure. So, what about all of these troubles and trials that we meet? 
What about all the stress that we meet from day to day? What about all those things that bothered you this week? I suppose some things might have bothered some of you at least this week. You see, so many times we are so wrapped up in this world and the things of this world that we lose the picture. And the things that Jesus told us and we know is true, just kind of like over our heads. And we didn't get it because we're so wrapped up in our own things. At least that's the way it is for me sometimes. Jesus, I'd like you to take you most of my time from from uh, chapter 15. Jesus said, one of the things that you need to understand most importantly about all of this is that I am the vine. Not your money. Not your house. Not your gardens. Not even your babies. I am. Am the vine. That's where the life is. I am the vine. My father is the husbandman. And you're the branches. And you're expected to bear fruit. And how much of that just went over our heads? I wonder. My, uh. This is not a Father's Day message because uh, I didn't plan it to be so. But every time that I, every time I read chapter 15 of John 15, I think of my father. Maybe it's because father is mentioned here a lot. I don't know. But I think it's mostly because my father was a very interesting man, I think. He liked things, different things, and... Uh, One of the things that he did was he planted a vineyard. Not a very big one, but he planted some choice vines. And uh, he planted fruit trees. And we had garden and lots of other things. And we even tinkered around with solar energy and all that kind of stuff when I was a little boy, before solar was so prominent as today. And uh, so I think he was an interesting person. And one of the things that uh, I think is uh, really good about my father is he was in tune with God in a lot of ways. And he had control of his spirit. I never saw my father get angry. He was displeased about some things sometimes, but he never got angry. He had control of his spirit. He had control of his spirit because he had He knew the vine. He knew the vine. Well, so much for my father. But uh, as I said, my father planted some vines. And uh, he was a busy man, so he didn't have time to take care of the vines. That's not the way God is, but uh, God's not too busy. But uh, so one day when I was about 14 years old, I think it was. He said, uh, this vine had grown up, uh, you know, he, he actually, he, he, he planted these vines and, and he made a, a trellis, you know, for it. And there were some wires across here, you know, and then made a T across on top of this and some more wires, you know, or boards, I think they were. 
And uh, so this vine grew up here, and it just, you know, filled the trellis all over. I mean, it was it was full. And my father knew that this vine really needed some trimming. It, it really did. I mean, it wasn't producing anything of account. And he knew that if it would be trimmed, it would be better. And so he said, uh, I don't know how to trim this vine. But I want you to go research it, find out how to trim grapevines, and I want you to do it. And in some ways, that's the way God is with us. You know, he knows we don't really know how to do a lot of stuff. But he says, you go find out. And I want you to do it. Now, that was the day before, that was before, you know, uh, the Internet and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. So I had to just go to books and everything. And I got a bunch of books and I studied about how to trim grapevines. And my daddy had said that I'm supposed to find out and then I'm supposed to do it. And so... Uh, well, I uh, I read a lot. I read a lot for a while. And uh, I finally decided I knew how I'm supposed to trim this grapevine. And uh, according to... Uh, now, this I, I'll give you this disclaimer. I'm not a vineyard vine keeper. And uh, maybe professionally, some people do it differently than what, uh, than what I'm going to tell you this morning. But I'm just going to tell you what I learned and, and uh, make some applications. So uh, if I'm if I'm sound, if somebody knows more about vineyards than I do, well that's that's fine. You can tell me more about that later. But anyway, what I read was uh, the way that commercial men do it. They often uh, they're interested in grapes. They're not interested in anything else. They're not interested in in grape arbors. You know, it, you know, make a lot of shade and so on. They're interested in grapes. And that's what we were interested in. We wanted grapes, so I decided I'd do it the way the grape farmers did it. And uh, grape farmers generally do it, so they just put a, a pole up, and they put one wire down here and one wire up here, and they go from post to post, and then you have rows, and you can go between them and harvest the grapes. Well, our trellis was a little different than that, so I modified it just a little bit to fit our trellis a little bit better. But the main idea was... Now, grape, trimming the grapevines, you understand, is done in the spring, not this time of the year. I, I wish, you know, some ways it would be springtime right now so I could bring in some grapevines and, and tell you about it. But uh, I, did, I couldn't find a good way to do that, so I didn't. But uh, you, you prune the grapes in the spring. And when you go out there, there are no leaves on the vines yet. They're all, you know, bare vines. And what you must understand is that nothing you see in spring, nothing you see on that vine will ever bear fruit. Nothing. None of that vine that you ever that you can see will ever bear any fruit. What will bear fruit is what springs out fresh this year. Okay? So therefore, if you have a great big vine and your vine is just covering the whole trellis, None of that's going to bear fruit. None of it. What will bear fruit is what grows off of that this year. The fruit always sets on fresh growth. Okay? Now, another thing that you should know is that uh, the shorter the vine, 
the more strength there is. In other words, if you stay right close to the main trunk of the vine, uh, let's just draw a trunk here. You know, this is the, the, the vine that goes up here. And this is a, this, a thick vine. If you stay close to the trunk there, there's more strength in the vine. And so you, there's more push and there's more growth that comes out. And uh, if you go from the vine that's way out here, you know, that's been, you know, way far away, there's not near as much strength. And this is the reason why so many people with grape arbors, they get so many uh, little tiny clumps of grapes with poor quality fruit. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, puny little stuff and it's fruit's not very big. Well, that's not they're not pruned right. Okay? They're not pruned right. What they should be doing is they should be taking these grapes back. And what I read was you save nothing of this vine except four branches. One to go out this way, one to go out this way, one to go out this way, and one to go out this way. That's it. Nothing more. And you'll even shut these back to, you count the buds here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. About ten buds. I think they said ten to twelve. Ten to twelve buds, that's it. Nothing more. Cut everything else off. Everything else. All right? Then in the spring, as the spring begins to push and the sap begins to flow, these little buds are going to shoot out big, long vines, you know. And the fruit will grow on those. That's where the fruit grows. And these will have all the strength of the vine because there's no other place for the strength to go. And they will set large clusters of grapes. And the grapes will grow large and strong and good. And you have good harvest. That's how you get grapes. Okay? Well, I trimmed the vine this way. And then when my daddy came home, I said, Daddy, I trimmed the vines. You want to see what I did? I, I was a little wondering what he's going to say. He came out and he said, You did trim the vine. I hope it makes it. <laughs> he said, are, are you sure you did that right? Well, I said, That's what the book says. I did it like the book says, you know. Wow, he said, I hope you didn't kill it. <laughs> it really did look almost like I killed it. Because all of the branches, all of these stuff that was up here was now down here, you know, ready to be gathered and burned. <clears throat> it was successful. I'll just tell you that right up front. It was successful that year. Those vines pushed. They pushed out new and they filled that arbor with fresh new vine. And the grapes grew and they were big bunches of grapes. And we had a harvest. And I was tickled. My daddy was too. Now, the point here, the reason I'm telling all of this is because there is a spiritual analogy 
There is something for us to understand that equals this in the spirit. That's very much like the vine. You see, all of this dead stuff, all of this that you can see before the fresh growth takes place, none of that's going to bear fruit. None of that. So the more thoroughly you purge out, the Bible uses purge there in King James. Other translations say pruning them. So maybe I, I, like, I like the word pruning. It makes more sense to us. But the more thoroughly you prune away your part of the picture, the more thoroughly Jesus Christ can shine through you. Okay? And the more concentrated you are, the more focused you are on being just part of the vine. No frills, no fancies, no nothings else. Just doing the Father's will to the best of your ability. The more focused you are on that, the more fruit you will bear. Trim off all that other stuff. This world, I tell you, is full of distractions. You knew that, didn't you? It's full of distractions. But all of these distractions don't bring fruit. Trim it off. That the fruit may be strong. The closer you are to the vine, the more strength you have. You know that, don't you? I think probably all of you have experienced it. The more closely you stay with Jesus and fellowship with him and focus on him, the more spiritual strength you have, don't you? You know that's true. Why is it that so often we simply forget and we get distracted? We get off into something else. When this is the basic truth. One year passes. A new spring has come. What shall you do with this vine? Now, all of these fresh branches that have come off the last year have all borne fruit. Should you save them? They bore fruit last year. I mean, that's where all the fruit was. You want to cut that all off? Yeah. Yeah, you might as well just cut that off. Because you know what? None of this is ever going to bear fruit again. That's all, that's all old stuff, old stock. It's dead wood. What you do is you get a fresh new, during the, this past year, something sprouted out from here, right close to the vine. And we have, you know, maybe it's this one right here. This bud made a new vine out through here. And you count 10 of these buds out here and you clean everything else here off. Just, yeah. Oh, it takes, uh, it's, it seems so heartless, but you, you just trim off all that stuff that bore fruit last year. Just take it all away. Just cut it all off. Forget it. It's all history. Take that all away. And you start another year fresh. Four branches, ten buds each. And you'll get fruit again. Does that make sense? 
It's a very interesting concept. Now, with all I just told you about pruning the vines and everything, read with me through John 15. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Nothing that's, that is not going to bear fruit is allowed to remain. Every branch that beareth fruit, he prunes it so that it will bring forth more fruit. You understand that, right? You see, God wants rich, full, full fruit. And he has a way of stripping from us all the stuff that gets in our way. How many times do we cry about the pruning that happens? We cry. Maybe not literally, but in our spirits we cry about all the deep privations that we need to experience. When in fact, God is just bringing you to bear more fruit. If you know that, your joy will remain. Now you are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. I have forgiven you all of these things. Now abide in me and I in you. The one thing that you want to remember to do is to be in Jesus in such a way that he is what comes out of you. He in us flowing out. Like the children's lesson, you know, what's in the sponge is what comes out when you squeeze it, right? If you've soaked up all of this world, all the money and cars and farms and, you know, all the stuff of this world, you know what happens when you get squeezed? Muddy water comes out. Right? But Jesus says, be, be focused. Be focused on me. Then, when you get squeezed, what comes out is me. Abide in me. A branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. If you, once you've cut it off, those, you know, those vines will never bear anything. They're going to be burned, that's all. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And just remember this, without me, you can't do anything. Nothing. You're, you're worthless unless you're connected to the vine. You can't do anything unless you're connected to the vine. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Wow. Did he really mean that? Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. 
And that's the way you're supposed to be as, as my disciples. You're to bring forth fruit. You're supposed to look like the master. You're supposed to act like the master. You're supposed to do the things that Jesus would do. And you know what? If that's your sole purpose in life, if what you really want to do with all of your might and soul and being, you want to be like Jesus and you want to, you want to stay connected with him and you have fellowship with him and you read his word and, and you're, you're focused on doing and being what Jesus would do and be. Well, guess what? You will bear fruit. Yeah, you will. And it'll be the best fruit ever. Because you'll have no distractions. You won't be doing the other stuff. Verse 9. As the Father... This always challenges me. This is a very challenging verse here. As the Father hath loved me... Let me ask you, how did the Father love Jesus? Do you know? On a scale of 1 to 10, how did the Father love Jesus? With 10 being all you could and 1 being not so much. What, what do you think? As yeah, as himself or 10, right? Do you think the Father loved the Son? A 10. All the way to 10. Do you think so? How many think so? Yeah, get your hand up there. You're sleepy. Yeah, all the way. The father loved the son. Ten, not nine. Ten. Are you getting that? Now, Jesus says, the way the father loves me, that's the way I love you. So you get a what? A ten, not a three. Do you think that uh, might have some effect? If Jesus loves you a ten, what can you expect? Big things, right? I think so. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye... In my love. You know, the interesting thing about this is that if God loves you a 10, you only get the 10 if you're willing to receive the 10. Did you know that? You have to be willing to receive the 10. Okay? I think sometimes we don't allow that to happen. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think it was easy for Jesus to go to the cross? How many of you think that was easy? No takers on that? How many of you think that was excruciating? Yeah. Not such a high... That's such a thing. But the Father sent... Did you get this? The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's what the commandment of the Father was. Son, go down there to earth and give your life a ransom for all. And the Son did it. No matter how hard that was. 
And I want you to know, this was not just a, a nothing. It was not just that Jesus was God, so he could just do anything. When Jesus came face to face, and he actually started thinking about, you know, I, I've got to do the Father's will here now. I'm, you know, I'm near the end of my life. We've got to go up to Jerusalem. And he started thinking about what that's going to be like, and, they, and, and they're going to crucify me. They're going to crucify me. And they're going to despise me. And they're going to smite me. And, and yeah, Jesus knew all that. He knew before he got there what was going to happen. And he knew that he was going to be beaten. The, the scriptures all said it. It was plain. He knew that. He knew the plan. And he steadfastly said, I'm going to, I'm going to carry it out because that is the Father's will. And I am going to do it. And as I do my Father's will, I want you to do my will. I want this chain to continue. Because when the chain continues, that's what brings the fruit. That's what brings the power. That's what brings us into oneness with God. Verse 11. These things have I written unto you for a special reason. That my joy may remain in you. I want you to understand that Jesus had a tremendous joy doing the Father's will. Not because it was easy. Not because it didn't cost him something. But he had a tremendous joy because he knew the outcome. And he knew his Father's will was good. And he knew what he was accomplishing. And so for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame and became Lord of lords and king of kings. A tremendous joy. And Jesus says, these things have I written unto you that that joy which I get from doing the Father's will may actually be in you. That this sap that comes up through the vine will come out into you. And you will have the joy of doing the Father's will. Uh, that's so much that I can hardly comprehend it. Do you have trouble with that? Do you have trouble getting a hold of that? Does some of that just kind of go over the top of your heads? Well, that's normal. But it's the truth. That the joy which was set before Jesus may be in you. And that it may remain, not just today, not just while you think about it, you know, during a message or something, but that your joy may be full, not half, not incomplete, 
but it might make you like Jesus. Oh, you'd like to know more about that? You wonder how to make that real? You wonder what the most important thing is? I do. Well, here's the commandment. The most important thing that you could ever get a hold of here is right here. That you love one another. And don't just do it the way men love each other on this world. But that you love one another as I have loved you. That's a big measuring stick. That's a tough one. That goes really deep. But that's what you're called to. I know you are not able. I'm not able to do that. Who is able to love like the Father loved the Son and the Son loved us? Who is able for that? Are you able for that? Or are you like the disciples say, yeah, we are able. No, none of us are able. But this is the promise that he makes us able. Without me, you can do nothing. You're not able to do that. Neither am I. Unless you abide in him. Unless you are connected to this vine. Unless your faith reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' garment and says, God, I need you. I need your healing strength. I need you. Ah, then an absolute miracle happens. A miracle that I cannot tell you how it happens. I just know that it happens. Yeah. I wonder, have you experienced that? At least some of it. And if you believe and you continue to believe, and again, it's just like this vine has to continually be fresh and new. The old things have to pass away. Last year's victories won't do for this year. I'm sorry, I don't care how wonderful your victory was last year. You might have had a tremendous victory over sin last year. But I guess what? You know what? That's old. The fruit bears today. Not yesterday's victories. Yesterday's victories were wonderful. That was a... Yeah. I'm not downplaying that. But are you in the vine today? And is your joy today the joy of the Father and His Son? There is no greater love than that. No greater love than that a man should lay down his life for his friends. That's hard to comprehend. Most of that just goes over my head. But this is what God is saying. I want you to know. I want you to know how precious all of this is to Jesus. And how 
deeply he takes you into his confidence. He says here, I, I call you not servants, but friends. I want you to know that I'm not just a big shot that runs all of this and you don't even know what's going on. I've brought you right in to the commonwealth of the real things that God is doing. And I've invited you to be a part of it. I want you to be with me, joint heir with me, followers of me, not in the sense that, well, he did everything and we just praise him, but that he works through me. Hmm. That's really hard to get all of that. I know. I want you to know that you didn't choose Jesus. You know, some, so many times we talk about people choosing to follow Jesus. I know what we all mean and everything. But just think about this. Jesus says, you have not chosen me. I have chosen you. And if I hadn't chosen you, you wouldn't have a chance in this world. You wouldn't have a blip of a chance. Nothing. If I hadn't, first of all, reached out and touched you and drawn you and made you to want to do the truth, you wouldn't have had a blip of a chance. But I want you to know that I am intensely interested in you. I want you. I want you with all the passion of my father. You just told me a little bit ago that God loves the son on number 10, right? And the son loves you on number 10. Right? That's how passionately Jesus is about getting a hold of you and being in you. And that you would look like him and do like him and, and care about others like him. Well, you got a big job cut out for yourself, don't you? <clears throat> I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. And that your fruit should remain. Not stuff that falls off. Half developed. That whatsoever you ask in the Father's name. He can give it to you. Because he won't be afraid you'll use it to your own glory. These things have I commanded you. Uh, In case you think that I kind of hung up on this word love. I think Jesus was sort of hung up on it. These things that I have commanded you, the number one thing is that you love one another. Yeah, I know I get a little rap for that sometimes. I'm sold on it. I'm sorry. I'm sold on it. I think God is sold on it. I really do. That you love one another. Do you know how to do that? 
but I can just tell you that if you're not connected to the vine, you're not going to understand it. All right? But if you're connected to the vine, if if you're connected to the vine, it all makes sense. It really does. Because that's what it's about. You're going to see this a little bit later. These things have I commanded you that you love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me first. If you were, the wor- were of the world, the world would love his own, because you're, but because you're not of the world, but because I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember, the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will also keep yours. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not sinned. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me, hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other did, you know, and Jesus really did, didn't he? If I hadn't done that, they'd be blameless. They wouldn't have any sin. But now I did those things. And they hated me anyway. And so you can expect that to happen. Just like the scripture says, they hated him without a cause. Christians, some people are going to hate you without a cause. Get used to the idea. It's going to happen. If you're connected to the vine, there are going to be some people who can't stand you. That's the way it is. Get used to that idea. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he is going to testify of me. I wonder how well we understand that. Basically, what Jesus was saying is, okay, I told you all about this. I I told you how I want you to be in me. I told you how to abide in me and my words to abide in you. And I know you didn't get it. I know you didn't get it. But there's coming a day. And I'm going to send to you when I'm finished with my work here on earth. And I am risen again from the dead and gone unto my father. I'm going to send unto you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to help you understand. And all of this that I'm telling you is going to make sense to you. And you're going to be able to do it. 
Uh, so I'm telling you now so that down the road you can say, aha, yeah, that's what he said. He, he told us that. When he was here, he told us that. Yeah, it makes sense. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Oh, I don't know if you understand that. I don't know if I understand all of that. I, I think I only got a little of it. A lot, a lot of it just kind of goes over my head, I think. But God sends his spirit into us and enables us to think differently. He enables us to give up our fleshly desires and earnestly love him and want to do his will. Even at the price of laying down your life. We haven't been called much of that. We don't really know experientially what that's like. But you know your history, don't you? You know some history, don't you? Look back at the time of the Reformation, for example. How many of those Anabaptists just were sold out to following the vine? And they were willing to die for the cause, right? I wonder how many of your homes have the martyr's mirror in it, that big fat brown book. And that big fat brown book is filled with stories, story after story after story after story of people who were absolutely sold out for the Christ and they died for the cause. They died for the cause. And and you thought we have it tough today? Come on. Have you seen anything like the Reformation? Have you at all striven unto blood, striving against sin? And we think we can't make it sometimes? Oh, shame on us. Shame on us. The problem, if we have this problem, the problem is we haven't pruned off the old stuff And we're not close enough to the vine. If, in fact, the one purpose of your heart is to be one with Jesus and to do the things that Jesus would do and to be like him, then nothing can deter you. And even if they kill you, you will just die like Jesus did for the cause. Right? This makes the Christian an absolutely unconquerable person. Are you unconquerable in Jesus Christ? We have that ability. I know. When the pressure is on, we don't always fare so well. I know my shortcomings. I'm sure some of you have shortcomings. But this is the promise. What I'm telling you is the gospel. Okay? It's the good news. It's the kingdom 
that Jesus talked about. Right? It's the otherworldliness that Jesus told us is ours if we abide in him. Oh, so much of that does not make sense because of the other things we know. Oh, we know that no, Messiah is going to come and run off the Romans, right? Our own version of that, of course. Of course, we're not living under the Romans today. But we have all these other things that we'd like to get rid of that's sort of like the Romans, right? Now, Jesus hasn't promised all those things. And our understanding of who God is and what he'd like to do in this world is sometimes very badly bent out of shape by our own understanding and our own desires. But God wants you to get it, that you would be one in him, that he would be in you, and that the fruit that you bear is fruit unto eternal life. And in verse 27, he says, and ye also shall bear witness. It isn't just going to be this, the work of the Holy Ghost. And, and praise God for the work of the Holy Ghost. We could never make it today without the work of the Holy Ghost. I'm convinced of that. I, the only way I can ever get even close to getting any of this done is by allowing the Holy Ghost to, you know, motivate me and push me and guide me and direct me and try to say the things that he would say and believe the things that are written and, and everything. These are not my thoughts. It's the only way I ever get close to it. But God has not given it all into the hands of the Holy Ghost. He expects you and I to be witnesses. Witnesses. He said, you, you know, you disciples, and this is particularly for those Twelve disciples that were with him from the beginning, it says. You are, you know, you've walked with me now for three years or whatever. And uh, you've seen all of my miracles. And you know that I am the son of God. And you know that I have power to do whatever I want to do, even raise people from the dead. And I can heal the sick and, and make the blame to, to walk and the blind to see. And, and you know there is, no, there is no limit to my power. You know that. You've walked with me and you've seen it. And now... I need your witness. I need you to go and tell others that it's that way. I need you to bear witness with the Holy Ghost that this is the truth. And this is what life is about. Do you think that's just for the 12 disciples? I don't. I think it's for us. Yes, specifically for the 12 disciples, of course. But all of us have been brought into this commonwealth of Jesus Christ. And he has promised all of us, not just the 12, that we can be a part of his kingdom. These things have I written unto you that you should not be offended. They'll put you out of the synagogues. They will even think that they do God's service when they kill you. 
Did that ever happen? Right? Specifically in the time of Reformation, right? There were so many people who were being killed in the name of righteousness. Seems funny in a way, doesn't it? But the church, the established church of the Reformation, zealously killed the Anabaptists. And and as they did so, they thought they were doing God's service. These things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. These things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you that at the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to go away to him that sent me. And none of you asked me whither goest thou. Because, but because I have said unto you these things, sorrow has filled your heart. And in some ways you still don't get it, do you? And in some ways, the Christian life still seems a little difficult sometimes. You know why? Because we only understand a part of it. Only a part. I'm absolutely convinced that if we got the fullness of this understanding, and if we actually saw fully and completely how the Father loved the Son and how the Son loved us and gave himself for us and bought us into his kingdom and did everything possible to make it possible for you to be just like Jesus, I think if you really understood that completely, you'd have joy beyond measure. The only reason we don't is because we only half understand it. But let's grasp the half that we do understand. You see, this is how you grow in understanding by receiving what you understand. Even if you understand partially like this morning, like I do, if you only partially understand the truth, but you grasp it and you want it and you choose it, your understanding will continue to grow, grow and grow, and you will be transformed from glory into glory. This is the promise. This is the good news. This is the gospel which Jesus brought into this sin-cursed world. That you have the opportunity to be like him. Reboot. I think I'll just stop there. You can go on from there. You can see how Jesus went all the way to the cross with this. And he died. And the disciples didn't get it. And they were sad. Depressed. Ready to just go fishing again. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. It's not uncommon to the human heart. But but if you'll understand, if you'll grasp by faith what Jesus said, 
If the good news that he gave to you, the kingdom of God permeates your heart and you take a hold of it with both hands and you say, this is what my life is about. You will grow in grace. You will grow in grace. 